Indigo Studio, a Chicago-centric show. The place where it starts, covering today's topics, new authors, pop culture, trending topics, and, of course, politics. Our topics are engaging, controversial, and authentic. This is where real talk takes place. We are going to bring it out with a fresh perspective, a hip view as we just talk about. Indigo Studio presents real conversation about topics of the day. Hermine Hartman and Shannon Peoples are the co-hosts, and we welcome you to Indigo Studio, making talk in vogue again. New show, new look, new people with Viewpoint bringing it to you. Let's make talk real again. Hi, this is Indigo Studio, and my name is Hermine Hartman, and today we're talking about Move On Up. Chicago Music. That's the title of Aaron Cohen's new book on Chicago soul, Chicago soul music, the Chicago sound. And to bring us up to date with music is Chicago's very own Teresa Griffin. This is going to be a wonderful show because Move On Up is about the Chicago sound from the likes of Curtis Mayfield, Jerry Butler, Shaka Khan, Gene Chandler, and the Dales. In other words, we're going to be talking about real music, old school music. Cohen is a professor of humanities at City Colleges of Chicago and is a music journalist for Downbeat Magazine and the Chicago Tribune. It took him seven and a half years to write this book. And Teresa, well, she's a beneficiary and a mentee of the Chicago Sound. She's a protege of Mr. Jerry Butler, Iceman, and travels the world with her beautiful voice. A wonderful music. Listen to this great conversation. So, Aaron, you wrote on the first page of your book a beautiful quote by Jerry Butler. And I want to read it because I think it kind of sets the tone of where we are in the era of 25 years ago of the book. And that is, Jerry said, most of what's done in this city is prompted by politics and most of black politics is supported by music. And so the music and the politics kind of work hand in hand as they walk down Michigan Avenue. What did he mean by that? Well, that was a beautiful quote from Commissioner Jerry Butler, who was such an important part of my story and such an important part of Chicago soul music and what I wanted to say about it. Because he emerged as a teenager singing. He walked down Record Row with his early group, The Impressions. And that was on Michigan Avenue. South Michigan Avenue between Roosevelt and 21st Street. And that was where young people like himself would go to get record contracts, where they would go to meet their fame and fortune. He went on to become a very popular singer. And then he went on to enter, enter politics. And at the time I spoke with him, he was a commissioner on the county board. And so much of the book was about how music and politics in Chicago were intertwined in such a very fascinating way. And Jerry Butler was center of all of it. So I want to talk about that because his, he's had two careers. One is Jerry the singer, and one is Commissioner Jerry Butler, the politician on the county board. And as a singer, we're talking about walking down Michigan Avenue, which is where record companies like VJ and Chess Records were located. And he had the first song out, the first writing out, and his classic uh, for your precious love. And he just went to the top right away. But intertwined for me, the music, black politics, uh, intertwine that, make that, make that work for me. 
Sure. Well, another thing that he did on Michigan Avenue is that he also set up a songwriter's workshop later in the 60s, and that was on 1402 South Michigan. And that's where he organized other songwriters and would teach them not just about writing and not just, well, they were writing, but he would also teach them about publishing, about rights, about copyright and production. And so that collective energy, that cooperative energy that he brought to music, music making and politics runs throughout the book. And what that quote also refers to is that as the 60s went on and young people who were young, like Jerry Butler, like a young Curtis Mayfield, a young Gene Chandler, other young singers in the early 60s, the book starts with what was happening in the city affecting them, the school system, housing, segregation, music education, music traditions and how those change. Civil rights movement. Civil rights movement. As the 60s and 70s progressed, and as these individuals progressed in their careers, they were becoming more aware of what was happening, and they were becoming change agents themselves in music, in politics, and in a larger culture as well. Fantastic. That's a, it's a, I know this era. Uh, I know Jerry. Uh, I was involved with the civil rights movement and the way you connected it and brought it together in a sociological vein is just absolutely fantastic. And you're right on it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I'm Shannon Peoples, and it's such a pleasure to have you guys here in Indigo Studio with us. I hope you guys are enjoying your nice cup of coffee. Oh, absolutely. You're a coffee drinker? Yes. Oh, yeah. I love this. This is McDonald's new Colombian roast. It's only being sold here in Chicago, and it's a fantastic drink of coffee. Now, yeah. Teresa drinks coffee two, three times a day. She yes, says she, she says she's a huge coffee drinker. Huge coffee so drinker. this is for and you. Now, we got this for you. <laughs> so, Aaron, as you were writing the book, I'm sure you had a lot of coffee. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Staying up late nights. Yeah, late nights in Colombia. So it is said that music reflects the times and every decade had its own style and flair. Uh, the 60s was Motown. The 70s was disco. Uh, how would you describe present day's music? What adjectives can you use for this? Well, yes, let me, um, how do I say this? Let me disagree with something that you just said. The 60s was more than Motown. Motown was a company in Detroit. And there was so much wonderful soul music coming out of Chicago, which in terms of quality was on par with every other city, be it Detroit, be it Memphis, be it Philadelphia. And one of the wonderful things about soul music in Chicago was that it was so diverse. It was, there were people like Terry Collier, who was a protege of Jerry Butler's, who we were talking about. And Terry Collier combined folk music, acoustic guitar with jazz, with jazz improvisation, with soul music, as people would recognize it as both a singer and a songwriter. There were the Shy Lights, and they had their harmonies that they layered on top of each other's harmonies, and that came from the Catholic Church. There were people like Jerry Butler and Curtis Mayfield who came out of the Sanctified Church, and their sound was very different. But the impressions. The impressions, and Curtis Mayfield is a solo artist. There was there were people who were not coming from a church background at all, like Jane Chandler. Well, Minnie Ripperton too. Yeah. Oh, oh range. Right. Yes, fabulous singer. Fabulous singer. Her voice was an incredible, incredible singer, and she came out of Chicago, and so the circumstances surrounding her. So when you think about R&B music in Chicago in the 60s, it was so incredibly diverse. 
And one of the really nice things that I discovered was that as I finished writing the book, and the book was pretty much done, is there is this great wave of very young singers in Chicago today who were children when I started writing the book. By the time I finished it, they were adults and they were singing and performing. Uh, people like Raven Linnae, people like Ayana Woods, Jamila Woods. There were so many great younger singers who were diverse. They were bringing in from either hip-hop or jazz or classical training. And then there were great singers who have been singing for years. Teresa Griffin, who we're very happy to be here with us, who has her own style, her own unique take. So it was diverse in the 60s and 70s in Chicago, and it's diverse today, especially with singers like this performing for all of us. But as you talk about today's singers, you're talking Rhyme Fest. Right. You're talking yes. about Chance the Rapper. Exactly. Kanye. Kanye. You're talking about he's, Kanye he's West. like in the footnotes. I don't go into He's, he's a footnote. He's a footnote. So, Teresa, how did this music influence you? Well, I have to say, coming out of a Southern Baptist uh, classical train, uh, jazz enthusiast, I've kind of learned to hear all of it, but Chicago sound had me hearing horns. I hear horns when I hear Chicago. I can't hear music without hearing Earth, Wind and Fire. I can't hear it without hearing Shaka Khan. Those were the horns. You're talking about hearing something totally different. And of course, when you hear Curtis Mayfield, you hear these arrangements. You know, you, you can't leave out what how it influenced other people like Isaac Hayes because Jerry Butler's brother, Billy Butler, wrote I Stand Accused for Isaac Hayes. So I heard a lot of different things and it influenced me in such a major way. Just listening to Ramsey Lewis play piano, Ramsey Lewis in Chicago. And so I hear all of Chicago in a whole different way. And Maurice White from uh, exactly. Earth, Wind & Fire was with Ramsey. With Ramsey. Right. And then I hear the rap when you have someone like a Malik Youssef who writes across, across the board for so many rappers in so many other genres of music. I mean, Love Jones came from that part that came out of, let's say, when Chicago's school system was changing. Music evolved in a whole different way, and it had to evolve because they were taking music out of the school. The great thing is that music was still here in Chicago in that way that it had been brought up out of Cabrini Green and all these other places. These kids came up with some other type of music, mm -hmm. and that's innovative. Mm -hmm. You've got to give them credit. Mm -hmm. They somehow found a way to make music anyway, and it influences me every day, and I love it. Which is what Jerry Butler and Curtis Mayfield... And Gene Chandler did. That's exactly what, what, what they did. Now, here's a, here's a question for both of you. We hear about the Motown sound. And rooted in the Motown sound, these kids, too, came from housing projects. And Barry Gordy took them in studio and trained them and gave them dance routines and dressed them up and so forth. What's the difference between the Motown sound and the Chicago sound? Because those musics came up in the same era. What's the difference between them? Well, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting, there's a lot of similarities, mm -hmm. not just in the music, but in also circumstances. Mm -hmm. Because in Chicago at that time, there was, as you just mentioned, there was great music education in the schools. There were teachers like Captain Walter Diette at DuSable High School here in Chicago who was teaching in the public schools. There were teachers in Detroit at Cass Tech High School where mm -hmm. a lot of the musicians, the instrumentalists, 
a lot of jazz veterans, those arrangements that you talk about when you hear the Curtis Mayfield, you hear those horns, those were in strings too, done by people like Johnny Pate, who was an experienced jazz musician, a trained conservatory musician who was bringing his ideas as an arranger to R&B here in Chicago. Now, another thing that's different between Chicago and Detroit was that we think of like the great creative artists from each city. These are creative individuals. Stevie Wonder from Detroit is a great individual artist. There is nobody who sounds like Stevie Wonder. Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. But there's nobody who sounds like Curtis Mayfield. Nobody played guitar like Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, he strummed upward. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. He tuned his guitar in a very specific way. And then when he would work with a trained arranger like Johnny Pate, that was a distinctive sound. Uh, Rotary Connection, who Minnie Ripperton came out of here in Chicago, and they had this brilliant, brilliant uh, producer-arranger named Charles Stepney, who was taking these ideas from progressive classical music and manipulating tapes and everything like that, and Chess gave him the opportunity to do all these incredible orchestrative-type arrangements that sounded like nobody else. So in each city, and you know, I can think of examples from every city, where there are individuals creating individual sounds themselves, yet still very much a part of a wider community. Okay. When I look at Detroit, though, I, I, I see Detroit, but what you had coming up from the South into Chicago on the trains were a very blues, mm-hmm. you know, you had a, a different thing coming up here. People got here and then they had to create a whole different sound. Motown was very organized, in a way. Structured. Very structured, very organized. You be this way, you do this, this is how you dress, this is how. This system. Was a system. Chicago had to really, they had to scrape and figure out how am I going to, as an individual artist, because there wasn't a Barry Gordy really. And so they had to really kind of create their own uh, identities in a whole different way. No one was really putting them, you know, per se, together that way. And I guess that's why I have such a I have such a different respect for how um, it is now and how they really just kind of made their way here and created a life for themselves. It created a music uh, life for themselves. Musicians lived as musicians here. I miss the clubs. I will say that I miss the clubs. Go ahead. So we have to go to break. Okay. But when we come back, I want to ask a question about the whole Motown Chicago sound. We'll be back in a moment with more moving on up. Indigo Studio presents real conversation about topics of the day. Larry! What are you doing? Saving energy. Well, you're not doing anything. I'm also saving money. Right now. How? ComEd. They recycled my old working fridge for free. Plus, they have rebates on energy-efficient products. So, you're saving now? And I'll save later on my energy bills. Customers have saved about $500 on their energy bills with the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program. What are you guys doing? Saving energy. Welcome back to Indigo Studio. Today we're discussing a really fascinating book called Move On Up, Chicago Soul Music and Black Cultural Power by Aaron Cohen. Now, before we went to break, I wanted to address something, and I had heard this many times. I heard that, you know, there was this Motown sound and there was a Chicago sound. Some people said it was the same. Some people said it was there. I just want you to clear it up. Did Barry Gordy and Motown, did they sometimes come into Chicago and poach talent? Bam. 
Well, I do know that uh, some musicians in Chicago recorded in Detroit with some of those Motown musicians. And I do know that there was a back and forth, not just with talent, but with executives. Uh, people like Billy Davis, who was an executive at Motown who came back, to, who came to Chicago to work at Chess. And then there were people like songwriter Reynard Minor, who wrote the hit Rescue Me, went on later to work at Motown. And so there was a back and forth. What about and Abner? I was about to get into Eward Abner because we're about to talk about VJ. Mm -hmm. And Eward Abner, who was an executive at VJ Records, which was here in Chicago, after VJ's demise, he went to Motown and also had a role in managing Stevie Wonder. So there was a back and forth. A little known fact, uh, the Beatles, we might not know the Beatles if it wasn't for VJ Records. And we might, know, might, might not know Rolling Stones if it wasn't for Chess Records. And all of that is early Chicago based in the same era that you're talking. Well, that's yes. The uh, EMI, the British label that was mm -hmm. recording the Beatles, uh, could not find an American distributor. And it was the black-owned VJ Records that started distributing Beatles records and that was, and then of course when the Beatles were popular, and of course EMI tried to put a stop to that pretty quickly um, for a lot of different reasons. And, but another thing too which is interesting about the Beatles is that um, someone showed me a picture of the Beatles after they visited the United States and they're back in England leaving the airplane and Paul McCartney is carrying a Major Lance album that he bought here. Ah, and, um, so, um, okay, and yeah. it helped their sound. Uh, you know, I mean, it's certainly, and then of course, the Rolling Stones. I think, yeah. it, I think yeah. it very yeah. much influenced their sound. Uh, the Rolling Stones recorded at Chess, but yeah, the Rolling Stones sound was derived from Chicago blues. Right, come on. And, you know, I think. Risa. Yeah. Come on. Where they <laughs> yeah, you you to you got to acknowledge that, yeah. Let me give uh, you an answer to your question about Motown coming to Chicago. They came for executives, but what they mostly came from was to have those records played at WVON. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And sometimes VON was the only station that played their music. Now, not just black music, Motown music. Because there was a direct connection because this is where they called them the good guys. This is where the jocks were, the Herb Kents and the Rodney Jones and so forth. This is where they were. And uh, at that time, it was said, if her played you, you had a hit. Right. You made it. You made it. You made it big because they really introduced the music to the world. That's really what it is. Oh, absolutely. We can't overstate. We can't overstate the importance of WVON. I mean, in terms of not just playing records and making a lot of these records popular, you know, Midwest and then the nation and then the world, but as a voice of the community. That's right. Because where else were, you know, young African-American kids in Chicago going to have their voices heard in the media? Because they weren't, they weren't playing our voices. Yeah, and they weren't, and their voices themselves, when they would talk about issues, whether it was the segregation in the schools, the school strike, mm -hmm. these kids would talk on WVON. WVON courted this audience that was being ignored mm -hmm. everywhere else in the media. So that's so important. You talk about identity music. Yes. Define identity music and the messages that you say this, this music communicated. The messages that were communicating this music were directly in the form of lyrics, Curtis Mayfield's lyrics, the song in the title, the uplifting uh, Curtis Mayfield songs. And there were so many other songs and so many other songwriters. But awareness, awareness as awareness, well. Awareness, exactly. And awareness too, not just when the music is directly stated in lyrics, but the music itself was a way of saying, we are here. Mm -hmm. 
we are part of this city. We are, you know, part of this country. This just through the sound itself, as well as when people like James Mack, the great educator and arranger, and Charles Stepney would bring European classical music to these records, saying, "This is part of your tradition. Part of your identity is that the whole world is yours musically." And that's expressed through the music. You know what I remember about this era? Teresa uh, Breadbasket met Jesse Jackson's Breadbasket then, now Rainbow uh, Push. When a lot of times when they had new records, they came to Push, they came to Breadbasket. And that's where the music was introduced. That's where you heard it maybe for, and what they were, I think what they were really doing and maybe I was too young to know it, but I think what they were really doing, I think they were test marketing. Oh, absolutely. Because you know, the crowds were so large and you were testing it. And so if that crowd just sat there and it's like, mm-hmm, that was dud. nice. It was like, uh-oh, that's a dud. And it was like, let's do this one. And then you heard, a whole, and it was all music. It was gospel. It was soul. It was everybody. And then the Motown guys start coming over and they kind of start doing the same thing. So when you went to Breadbasket, you did not know who it might be. Uh, Stevie Wonder, it might be these little boys from uh, Gary. Yeah. Became the Jackson Five. It might be Jarrett. You didn't know who it was going to be. And that came from this part of Chicago, which I think was unmatched anywhere else in the world. South Side. (laughs) I have never lived anywhere else in the world but Chicago. A little bit in Wisconsin when I was in school. But my point is, you know, just focusing on Chicago is such a strong part getting back to that early quote from Jerry Butler that you read in the beginning, such a strong part of what was going on here. And it was such an important story that I felt needed to be told. Hey, we got to take a break, but we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about Rhyme Fest and a wonderful quote that he gave you. And uh, I want to talk about that concept. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Look at what's all new at McDonald's. Try the new sweet and savory chicken McGriddles made with the crispy chicken filet and the sweet taste of maple. Or get the McChicken Biscuit with crispy tender chicken and a warm flaky biscuit. Now get either for just $1.69 each or mix and match two for $3. Try a whole new morning routine and double up the goodness. Wake up breakfast with McDonald's. Larry! What are you doing? Saving energy. Well, you're not doing anything. I'm also saving money right now. How? ComEd. They recycled my old working fridge for free. Plus, they have rebates on energy-efficient products. So you're saving now? And I'll save later on my energy bills. Customers have saved about $500 on their energy bills with the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program. What are you guys doing? Saving energy. So, Aaron, I want, I want you to really know I read your book. Thank you. So one of the things that Rhymefest said I found so interesting is that Chicago music lives in the future. It does. That we're always ahead. Talk about that. Explain that. What's it it mean, Chicago music lives in the future? Well, when I talked with Rhymefest for that piece, for that article, for the interview, for the book, he mentioned that looking back to the history of Chicago music Mm -hmm. and what Earth, Wind & Fire were doing was so ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. What Curtis Mayfield was talking about was so ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. And that he felt that what he wanted to do was also continue in that tradition of great Chicago musicians who were projecting what was going to happen in the future. So would that be avant-garde? 
Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of what now we think of as Afrofuturism, where you have you know African American artists projecting their vision of what the future could be, and I talk about that a bit in the book with this movement that's happening in Chicago today with people like the poet Eve Ewing and musicians like David Boykin and that Maurice White, Earth, Wind & Fire, they had their vision of the future and they got that from Phil Curran at the Afro Arts Mm -hmm. Theater. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's going on today. It was going on in the 60s and 70s. Sun Ra, who came from, who did his recordings in Chicago. He wasn't future, He he was light. Moments years ahead, yeah. light years yeah. ahead. And not only now are people coming to grips with what Sun Ra invented mm-hmm. here in Chicago. And of course, a lot of people didn't know that Sun Ra made R&B records while he was here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So there's this tradition of especially African-American musicians here looking toward what was going to happen, what will happen, and then the times catching up to them years later. So. You know, it sounds as if to be successful in the music industry, it has to be your passion and you have to give it your all. And we have to start to wrap up. But as we wrap, I want to ask both of you a quick question. Aaron, what is it about black music that is your passion? What is about black music is my passion? Yes. Is that because as long as I've been listening to it, which is my whole life, I don't want to give away my age, but my whole life is that I'm always just learning, learning about new people. I'm always learning about new sounds, mm-hmm. that the amount of great black music is just absolutely infinite. And I could live to be a thousand years old and I would still not know enough about it because mm-hmm. there's always so much more for me to learn. And you'll still, from the church, which is our training ground, mm-hmm. you will still hear a voice will pop up. Mm-hmm. You think of Jennifer Hudson. Daniel Weatherspoon. You think of Fantasia. Come on, it's and wonderful people And it's here. the church, and those voices still pop up. They still emerge. And when you hear it, mm. you know it. Indigo Legacy Black Lux is an incredible hip history about Chicagoans. It is exactly like nothing else. Indigo Legacy is a new history book with eight pounds of awesome stories that inspire. This book has been 28 years in the making. Read about what black achievement looks like in a modern day with 496 pages and 300 full-color exclusive photos. Order your copy today at IndigoLegacy.com. Hi, I'm Eric Cameron of Clear Vision Multimedia. If you are in need of a film company to film and edit your next event, look no further. We are just what you have been looking for. We have filmed, directed, and edited well over 100 projects with over 20 years of experience in filming. We specialize in filming music videos, talk shows, gospel TV programs, independent film projects, and much, much more. At Clear Vision Multimedia, we have a professional group of videographers and film editors that can sit with you, create a script, storyboard it, and walk you throughout the entire process. We are a full video and film editing company for all occasions. Indigo Studio, a Chicago-centric show. The place where it starts, covering today's topics, and of course, politics. Our topics are engaging, controversial, and authentic. This is where real talk takes place. We are going to bring it out with a fresh perspective. Let's make talk real again. Indigo Studio, 